0: Okay, we're in Revelation 14 uh, today. We're gonna I'm gonna talk for a bit before we get into reading that. Um, I had a uh, an email uh, from uh, where's Grand from Becky, and it was a sermon on apocalyptic literature. It's about apocalyptic literature in general. Um, I think I, I might have started the video too late. Maybe she did read from Revelation, but when she was speaking, it was about apocalyptic. Uh, literature in general. And I found it really inspiring. It was really cool. So um, in light of that and, and just being inspired by that uh, message that it was really a homily, um, uh, we're going we're gonna to spend some time in a bit of reflection. And what I have found as I've studied this book is that as you march through the, the symbolism of it, what seems so mysterious and crazy to us is actually pretty simple to unpack. And the message behind it is fairly straightforward and simple. And so I thought it might be good to uh, back up a bit and just reflect a little bit. So this will be a bit more devotional. Uh, We will read and get through uh, chapter 14. Um, But I want us to unpack a little bit some of the things uh, that are going on. And this is a great time to be here if you've just had a baby and haven't been in church for a while. Because you'll get a review of all that we've talked about. if there's anyone like that, I don't know. But um, uh, <clears throat> so there's, uh, there, there's, I read about a, I didn't see it myself, but uh, one of the commentators talked about this uh, Peanuts cartoon, and uh, it's uh, Charlie Brown and his sister, is that Sally, right? Sally. And uh, I think they're, they're going to church, uh, or getting ready, and uh, she's talking about the, the Bible verse she memorized for that day. And she comes in and talks to her brother, Charlie Brown, did you memorize your verse? She says, no. He says, no, I, didn't, I don't remember it. And then she starts talking with him, and then she says, you made me forget the verse that she had memorized. And uh, he says, well, well, forgetting's not so bad, you know, and uh, what was it? Do you remember? And she says, well, I don't know, it, it might have been one of the parables of Jesus, or it might have been something that Moses said, or it might have been a quote out of that book, re <laughs> And... Uh, which was great because that is exactly what we're reading. It's the book of reevaluation. And <laughs> Revelation is using uh, very graphic images of good and evil to present to the church, uh, the first century church directly, uh, but also for our benefit, all the generations uh, that have read it since then, um, to reevaluate. It's calling to make a choice. All the scripture is calling us to make a choice. The way it does it here is with these graphic, uh, bold images, uh, much like a graphic novel um, does. And we have seen this, and I talked about this, but I'm going to go back to this illustration and unpack it a little bit more. We see this in our culture. We just don't know that we see it when we see it. So last week I talked about... Some are blockbuster movies, right? And I talked about Jaws. And Jaws is, uh, off the top of your head, you're going to say it's a shark movie. It's not about a shark. It is about small-town politics and putting budgets and profits over and above the welfare of people, right? Sheriff Brody is trying to protect people, and this small town opening up for Fourth of July weekend is uh, putting uh, you know, the, money's, uh, agenda, the the town's agenda and money and all that sort of uh, thing above the welfare of the people. That's where they're more concerned. Until the guy who's in charge of all that work, uh, his son, has a close encounter with the shark. And then all of a sudden, uh, he wants to move ahead with uh, killing the shark. So the shark is just a vehicle to put teeth on this whore. Right? We talked about E.T., which isn't a horror movie, it's more of a, an adventure or drama, I don't know. And, um, but it's not, it's not a movie about uh, cute, slimy aliens trying to get home. It's a movie about a boy who's going through a divorce. He's trying to find his home. And that's why it's so important for, for Elliot to get this, uh, get this guy home. And as I mentioned, except for his mom and maybe one other person who's very sympathetic to him, a scientist maybe at the end of the movie, all the other adults are not seen from the neck up. They have no faces. The, you see them. There's people moving around, but there's no face to them. And I wonder that if uh, people going through, a, ch- children going through a divorce maybe feel like that, that things are moving around them, that adults are doing all this stuff and they don't, they don't know. Um, but people are hurt by that. And so... You know, a movie about a a fairly typical divorce does not a summer blockbuster make, right? We don't make summer blockbusters about that because it's very mundane and it's very, uh, what, 50%, right, in our culture uh, go through a divorce. Um, And small town budgets, we don't think about uh, sometimes uh, how they affect people. Um, But some people can be really hurt. I remember the very first... uh, Richmond town meeting I went to, which was really entertaining. Uh, I mean, it it was. I was about to go out and get some popcorn and pizza and watch this thing unfold. Um, But one person, and and I don't... it was probably my dad. No, no, no. <laughs> no, but one person who I graduated with, not, not someone I was really close to, but I, I recognized her, and she, she stood up and was talking about the, the rising taxes. Now, I had moved from somewhere else, and I thought these taxes are the best I've ever seen. Uh, but for her, it was tough, it was very difficult. And so, you have these things uh, that we run into on a regular basis um, that are painful. That are very hurtful, and the book of Revelation um, it honors that suffering by painting it in really bold colors and giving it size and giving it teeth and giving it uh, it brings the horror to life because divorce is hard. I've never talked to anyone that said you know that went really well. It, it never have I heard that ever. I just found out a relative of mine is going through a divorce. And I just, I, you know, my heart, my heart goes out to them. It's just going to be a mess. Um, <clears throat> and so it honors the, our mundane hurt and trials and brokenness. And we talk about the first century church, like they're being persecuted. And at times, they are being persecuted very harshly. At other times, they're not. And part of the message, we forget this because it's been so long, but in Revelation 2 and 3 um we see a picture that of a church that has warnings to it don't give in here's you know to those who conquer this will be given this reward but here's what i have against you in other words the the first century church is a little bit compromised in their uh faithfulness to jesus and so the rest of the book which pictures the church as this conquering army of people who suffer on behalf of others um looks Great, they're always dressed in white robes. But we have to remember those, those first two chapters where it calls the church to, to make a decision about what they're going to be faithful to. Because sometimes it's, it's, not, it's not intense persecution. Sometimes it's just being lulled to sleep with apathy. Sometimes it's uh, simply uh, choosing to worship the, go along with emperor worship, which was very common in that day. All these Caesars had big egos. They wanted to be worshiped. And they set up, you know, it was a very large empire, and they set up places all over the place that would worship the emperor and call in, you know, their devotion. And you'd call Caesar Lord, right? But Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that's what's so subversive about that title. And so um, what John is doing is uh, giving teeth and making it look horrible and, make, and showing us the real horror Behind what's going on, even if it seems rather regular and mundane. And that's what these summer block, that's what these, you know, I guess these are both Spielberg Spielberg movies, right? He does a good job, right? Poltergeist. We'll pick on Poltergeist, right? What's that about? Here's the quiz. Is it about ghosts out of the TV? Yep. (laughs) All right. Will and I can have an extra study after the. the father is involved in a, in a plan to uh, uh, urban expansion. And it's sort of gone out of control. And they just keep spreading and spreading and spreading this urban development onto a reservation. That's what the horror is. The ghosts give it life. And it makes it exciting to go and pay $15 to go see in the middle of the summer. So when you could be outside enjoying God's good creation. Um, so... Uh, Sharks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're talking about movies and artistic expression, right? Shark. Sharks are a real danger. But movies that are about the shark, they're typically not very good. Um, so, um, so, Revelation sees that hurt and gives it color and gives it size Gives it the size that it deserves. Gives it teeth. um, Gives it anger and power. And it shows how we connect with Jesus through that. Because Jesus was unjustly tried. He unjustly died. And yet he he went to that. And he gave himself for that. And that was this ultimate expression of love. And now Revelation is calling uh, Jesus' followers to do the same. So... We come to this section, which uh, 12, 13, and 14 go together. We covered 12 and 13 last week. And just as a recap, there's this vision of beasts. Chapter 12 is a vision of a cosmic battle. And this is really important because when we are suffering... We want to lash out. We want to make someone else pay. We want to make someone else suffer. And when we see that there's a cosmic battle behind these forces on earth, uh, what the Bible is reminding us is that we do not fight against flesh and blood. That is not where we conquer. That is not how Jesus conquered. He conquered by loving his enemies. Um, So it sets the stage for where the battle is really happening and where we need to understand that battle happening. And it shapes our actions. We don't lash out at people, no matter how evil they are, okay? Um, <clears throat> we love people to the end. And then in chapter 13, we saw two beasts. One rose up out of the sea, and it was a war machine. It had very uh, military uh, language, and this is Rome. You know, from the, the banks of the Mediterranean around the area of Turkey, Rome is out in the sea. It's a long peninsula. It sits out in the sea. So that is the war machine that is expanding and expanding and expanding. But they demanded that they'd be worshipped in local towns, local cities, local principalities, uh, uh, or territories. And so the second beast that rises up out out of the land are those local areas that are forcing people to take part in emperor worship. And that was... Economic pressure talks about economics in that one, and that you know, anyone who didn't have the mark of the beast couldn't buy or sell or do all these things. Well, that puts it a tremendous amount of pressure on um, people, regular, ordinary people. And so, um, I've, I've used this over, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this to death so that we get it. Um, if I can't buy groceries at Walmart without worshiping the God of Walmart and Jesus is calling me to be faithful, then I can't go there. And it, sometimes it could mean a real ostracism and being marginalized and being oppressed. Other times it's just a hassle. I got to go out to Pierce's in, in Richmond and shop there with uh, less options. And, well, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> it at that. Uh, but, uh, so, um, sometimes it's mundane Sometimes it's intense pressure, but there's this economic pressure being put onto Christians and they're being marginalized. And the call of revelation is to be true and the call of, and what John is doing again is making these look like real monsters so that we understand the gravity of that decision. So we have the cause, we have the the, the beast of the sea, the beast of the earth, uh, the cosmic battle, and now this vision continues, but we see more of uh, the church in this vision. And so I separated this one out, and uh, we're just going to march through uh, Revelation 14. John goes on and says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name Written on their foreheads, and I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty ocean waves, uh, mighty ocean waves, or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000, who had been redeemed from the earth. This is interesting that they've been redeemed because that is an economic term. They've been bought back. This is a group that was not allowed to buy in their in their uh, local areas, their local Walmart, but they uh, are bought back by God. And another thing to, to every time we see that 144,000, uh, we're hearing a military term. There's 12 times 12 times 1,000 in a Those units were a 1,000 people. So when we see that, John's giving us clues into a a military sort of formation. And uh, it's important to remember that what does Jesus' military look like? They look like a lamb who's been slain, but is still alive. That's how this army conquers. That's how they conquer. John hears, remember in the beginning, he hears a lion, but he sees a lamb that's been slain um so they they go we go on here uh they've been redeemed from the earth they have kept themselves as pure as virgins now this translation is uh other translations are just gonna sound like they're putting down women uh and it's unfortunate following the lamb wherever he goes i think it talks about not defiling themselves with women um, this one says, They are pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They are the offering. They have told no lies. They are without blame. Now, this is not saying literally people have never told a lie um, or defiled themselves. This is, again, a military image. Uh, remember when uh, King David sleeps with Bathsheba, gets her pregnant. Part of his plan to cover that up is to bring her husband Uriah back from the army and have uh, reuniting uh, as spouses. And he says, no, I will not do that because it was sort of a common thing that you're going to stay focused when you're in the army. We're not going to go home to our wives. We're not going to go, you know, we're not going to sow our wild oats. We're going to focus on the army. And that's what that's talking about. Um, Not being defiled and uh, I don't think we're looking at the, the idea is that these people are devoted and committed mm-hmm. to Christ. And they're using, you know, really bold language to talk about that. Um, <clears throat> so we move on. Verse six. I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world. I read this and I had to stop. To every nation, tribe, language, and people. And here we have this picture of all these beasts. You know, this empire is represented by beasts out of the sea and beasts out of the land and things that devour and and the stars falling from heaven. And yet the gospel, the good news is still going out to everyone. Everyone is still invited in. I love that picture. Verse seven, fear God, he shouted, give glory to him for the time has come when he will sit as judge, worship him who made the heavens, the earth and the sea and the springs of the water. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon has fallen. The great city is fallen." This is talking about Rome, not Babylon, but Babylon becomes this symbol of, From the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible, of uh, evil city uh, that embodies evil. And again, we're talking about systems of the world, not necessarily individuals. Everyone's invited. Um, The great city has fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Oh, this is tough language. The wine of her passionate immorality. She made all the nations drink this. Then a third angel followed them shouting anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must this is a parody of the Shema the hand or the forehead must drink the wine of God's anger it has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and they will have no relief day or night for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. Now for some reason in the conservative evangelical church we have focused so much on this verse. We've been reading all these symbols over and over and over and then when it comes to suffering forever all of a sudden it's literal. That seems a bit strange to me. The image that this is trying to con—the images are difficult. I find myself pushing away. I find myself looking forward to Sunday and saying, "I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to try to explain this. This is a hard message." This is a letter. Uh, Yeah, let me—I'll finish. (laughs) This is a letter. Um, It's a vision, and um, it's a letter that goes out to many churches. And uh, it's powerful. And so on the one hand, these difficult images, um, they are powerful and painful for a reason. They are calling us to feel a bit uncomfortable with them. And again, behind them could be real suffering and persecution. I mean, Christians in our own world today, in some corners of the world, are beheaded for their faith. Yeah. Not here. And so, uh, some of these, some of the persecutions that they face are a bit more mundane, and kind of put you out. Like you gotta, you gotta do something different. You gotta, you gotta go a different way home, or you gotta, you know, it's just a hassle that you gotta do, and f- to be faithful. Um, but it's trying to give us an extremely strong picture of the suffering. Now, I just to back this up. I I, I read some things recently. I read uh, an article about um, uh, social media use and the sort of shocking rise in self-harm and suicide, mainly among young women. It, I, I, I tried to go back and find the percentage and the numbers because it was really surprising. Um, and I think I'm mixing, I'm thinking of two that I read, you know, similarly. And one had to do with school and depression and what doctors are seeing, that the the number of suicide attempts are rising so shockingly um, that it's almost hard to comprehend. I talked to someone who uh, wanted to introduce North Harbor to a ministry that they are a part of down in Connecticut, and it has to do with human trafficking and uh, bringing people out of uh, that horrible situation. And, and And the numbers... We're incredible. Uh, 40 million people are trafficked. 40 million. It is a $150 billion industry. You have to take, have to take a whole lot of big-name companies and put them together to get that kind of profit. It's shocking. So I saw a map. It looked like a heat map, you know, like where there's red spots. You know, the, hot, the hottest spots were? It was all along the northeast. Between Boston, well, you got all these cities. Boston down to Baltimore, right? Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, Baltimore. In the United States, that's the hot spot. You get this, you know, and so listen, if we're gonna talk about beasts and we're gonna talk about giving teeth to something and big color, you know what? One of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest events that will increase human trafficking in a city. Probably oh, Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, man. We love our Super Bowls. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Maybe Olympics too if we host. I don't know. But it's it's shock. So. this guy is from, he's living in uh, Connecticut. He's originally from Houston. And once he started seeing the teeth on this monster, he realized that every morning when he drives to worship, every Sunday morning when he goes to worship, he's driving by about four different places where people are trafficked. Once he got in and discovered this down in Houston. So, this is part of This is is why the language is so intense. It's so intense in Revelation because it's showing us that this is a monster and if we take part in it, we are going to be devoured. Remain faithful. Um, And if you're part of it, if you're part of a system that God will eventually bring justice to, you're going to go down with it. You're going to hurt. You're going to, you're going to suffer. Um, <clears throat> this means that God's holy people must endure persecution. I love it. Every once in a while, we saw this a couple times last week, you get this statement. There's no imagery. It's crystal clear. Here's what he's saying. Then I, uh, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit. They are blessed indeed for they will rest from their hard work and their good deeds will follow them. Then I saw a white cloud and seated on a cloud was someone was like the son of man and he had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the sit, the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung a sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. And after that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar he shouted to the angel with a sharp sickle swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth for they are ripe for judgment so the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of god's wrath and the grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city and god and and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Yeah. More graphic images. Awesome. That's like going from here to like Moms Boston, right? Uh, I think so. So, graphic, graphic images. <clears throat> so there's a call to lean into your suffering. There's a mystery there. And Jesus knows this more than anyone. I, you know, I, we think about this and we, again, I think because it's so graphic and it's so cartoonish that we, it, there's a distance to it. So recently I had an experience where I was with a, um, a health agency, a health institution, that after I was there for a couple hours started pressuring me to, to do things, to do treatment or do, you know, do things that I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable doing. And I'm sitting there looking at this patient rights on the wall. And one of them is the right to refuse, you know, treatment. So that's something so small. Um, you know, it costs us an extra a couple thousand dollars, but not everyone has a couple extra thousand dollars laying around. And I think on one hand, the institution was just looking out for themselves um, to cover their own bases, but that's really not what they are there for. <laughs> they're there to help people. And that's the kind of thing, that's, it's sort of the kind of thing, or I'd say it would be lumped into the kind of things that John is talking about, where society and the systems that go, they're not looking out for people. It's not sacrificial like Jesus' blood is. They require blood from others, and it happens all around us. And uh, I, I was I talked last week about I don't know where this, my shirt was made. I don't know what is how. What does that mean about watching the Super Bowl? And if, even if we rallied 40, 50 people to boycott the Super Bowl, it doesn't feel like we're really taking on really taking on the beast that's there. Um, Maybe I need to turn my, uh, my love for watching sports over to local high schools rather than pitchers who are making millions and teachers who are making thousands. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Um, but what it does call into, it calls us to lean into, not to escape it, you can't outrun it because these beasts are so big, but to lean into your suffering. And there's something that happens there that is remarkable. Because as we lean into suffering, whether it's a simple annoyance or whether it's something bigger, like giving your life, we find there God. That's where God is found. And we discover that love, that God loves us in that suffering and through that suffering. And I think we avoid suffering, and we end up not really understanding the depth of God's love for us. And the thing is, once we understand the depth of God's love for us, then we're ready to give up our lives, because it's love, and that's what love is all about. It's giving up our lives for others, whether it's small or big. And by the way, if uh, these small things can have big teeth, these random things, these Mundane things that we see all the time, like divorce, if they have big teeth, your acts of faithfulness, even small, have a big impact. It's a, it's a crowd. It's a, it's, it's a host of angels singing God's praises in the heavens. It's huge. It's huge. I had an opportunity recently where I, I had to make some actions that were difficult but good for other people, and there was a part of me that was just like, I don't want to do this. This is dumb. I don't think this. This isn't going to do anything. And then I thought, this is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. Like, I, this is a really big annoyance for me. But um, I, I don't mean that to think I had this. You know, these people. You know, I'm, I'm not thinking that. Uh, I'm not being a jerk. I'm just saying that it was. It really put me out of. Of routine and uh, normalcy and I thought this is what Revelation is calling us to do even in simple ways to lay down our lives for other people to do things that are uncomfortable on the one hand and if you're in some small church with only one light bulb hanging down in some corner of the world where you could lose your head over your worship that's also what this is calling and it's hard that's hard to swallow so Lean in. Lean into the suffering. And that sounds like a real downer message for a nice, bright, beautiful day in Maine in the summer. But that is where things are discovered. That's where God's love and glory and God's greatness is discovered in such a deep, deep way. And the song we sing at that point will be a new one because we'll discover something great there. So, it's calling us to choose these these three chapters: the cosmic battle, the two beasts, and these uh, this angel, these uh, this army of the Lord. These are put together in this section, and it's calling us to reevaluate, to make a choice on following Jesus or not following Jesus. Now, uh, as we prepare for uh, communion, there, I'm not going to read it this morning, but the the reading. Um, that we find in the book of Luke is the one of the rich young ruler, right? And he says, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that is a question that fits right in with Revelation. What must I do? Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, does not answer the question, (laughs) but returns it with another question. I don't know. How do you read it? Well, love the Lord your God and love others with all your strength. Yep, you got it right. He says, well, I've done all that. Um, Is that right? Is that what he says? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he says one more thing. He says, uh, you know, sell your riches to the poor. Follow me. In other words, what Jesus is saying, and this is really important, okay, because what this guy is quoting is the two greatest commandments in the Hebrew Bible. So, what is at issue is his identity as a faithful follower of God. It's not just having the right answer. It's faithfulness. This is who I am as a person. And he answers it biblically correct. But Jesus says you need something else. You need to lay down your life. You know, go sell, go sell all your possessions. And he leaves bummed out. Basically what Jesus says is you need to lay yourself down for others. You need to go to the people who are out on the margins and serve them. Jesus understands this principle because he lived it out. You give your life for others. And at that point where you do that is where you meet God in the most powerful way, Mm -hmm. in the most glorious way, in the way that gives you so much joy and peace that the monsters begin to diminish in size and you're able to move forward in your life with God.